Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate and let's dig in. All right, and we're back. Did I intend to take a month-long break? I did not. But it is 2021, and the world is still a little bit bananas, so I appreciate your patience with me. Uh, In the time since we talked last, I uh, went on vacation, not for the whole month. That would be interesting. I, I, I want to say that that would be fun and good, but also I know myself, and I don't know if I actually have... Uh, enough spiritual fortitude to rest for that long without going a little bit bananas. Um, it's a growth edge for me, growth. Um, rest and relaxation does not come the most easily to me. Um, but anyway, I was on vacation and then uh, my daughter went back to school for the first time in a year, uh, over a year. So there is a little bit of transition with that. And then um, we are renovating a portion of our house. Uh, We moved into a new house last year and uh, it needed some work. And so uh, we are doing that. And so for about a week and a half to two weeks for many, many hours every day, there were like sawzaws and lots and lots of noise happening it's not very conducive to podcast recording. So anyway, it's been a minute and I appreciate your patience and your graciousness. Um, and I'm glad to be back with you here today. This is the episode that was promised at the end of the last episode, um, like a month ago. So, um, if you don't remember what that is, um, first of all, we're here on a Monday. Um, and so that's weird. Uh, usually our regularly scheduled Road Trip Through Matthew episodes release on Wednesdays. Uh, But we're here on a Monday, so this is a little like roadside attraction on our little Matthew road trip. Um, So we're not talking about Matthew today. I am uh, carving out some space um, here in this little corner of the internet, um, and we're going to be talking with Tiffany Bloom. Um, about her new book, Pray Tell. Um, And so I'm very excited to be talking with her. And then on Wednesday, we'll be back in Matthew. Um, But I just am so grateful that you tuned in. I want to remind you all to go ahead and subscribe or follow or like whatever platform you're listening on, whatever they have you do. Go ahead and do that so that you don't miss any episodes. You know, just in case they have to like cut more holes in my ceiling or anything like that and we get off schedule again. Um, If you hit subscribe, you won't miss an episode no matter what. Um, And then if you leave a review, that helps other people find the podluck, find the podcast and and get engaged too. Um, So I appreciate that as well. Uh, Reading one review that just came in recently uh, on Apple Podcasts from Nurse Beck. Um, who writes Bible study for the rest of us. This podcast is more than I could have asked for, filling a void in my life that I didn't know existed. 
It has been years since I have spent time thinking about theology and scripture. I struggled to find voices that appealed to me. Megan's strong knowledge plus a modern per- progressive perspective make her an ideal company on long walks. Uh, I would love to go on a long walk with you, like for real, uh, because there are a few things in life that I enjoy more than long walks. Um, good coffee. But the best is when you have like a good cup of coffee on a long walk. That's that's the good stuff right there. Mm, love it. All right. So to today's order of business. I am talking today with Tiffany Bloom. Um, she is a podcaster herself. So I always love talking with other people who podcast. It's very interesting and and kind of fun to to just you know talk with folks who podcast um because if you're all podcasters everybody's good at talking everybody likes to talk and so it's it's a good time so tiffany's podcast is the why though podcast um and so you can check that out she co-hosts that with ashley abercrombie um she is a writer um, she's written several Bible studies. Um, she helps with the uh, she helps lead the Sip and Savor um, ministry that's in the Pacific Northwest. Um, just doing all kinds of different things. Speaker, Bible teacher, uh, writer, and her latest book um, is Pray Tell. And so that's the one that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Pray Tell is on Brazos Press, and I'll put the links in the show notes so that you can pick it up. Um, It's a book about uh, misogyny and abuse and the church. Um, The subtitle is Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. Oof. Like... If there has ever been a a period in time when it's just like, no, you just need to speak up and tell the truth and we need to stop silencing people, particularly women, um, yeah, I think we've all become very aware of that um, in the, the last couple of years. And so I'm super grateful for Tiffany's work, the work that she has put into this book. And I'm really excited to be talking with her Um, today about the book. And so, like I said, I'll put the links in the show notes to uh, the book Pray Tell, to Tiffany's work broadly, um, her website where you can find out about her other books, um, her podcast, her her blogging, things like that. And so all of those links will be in the show notes. So make sure that you check that out. But for now, uh, here is my interview with Tiffany Bloom. Well, Tiffany, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me today. I am super excited about your recently released book. It's it is a work, y'all. For the listeners, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever encountered such a like small and mighty book. It just packs so much in. Uh, the book is called "Pray Tell: Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up." So, like, just the title alone is like. All right, and I'm going to sit with that and let that like just settle into my soul for a minute. Totally. Um, 
Tiffany, writing a book is not a a task that people just pick up because they decide that that seems like you know a fun way to spend their life. Um, book writing is challenging. Yeah. Uh, where did this one? Uh, where did this one come from for you? Like what what made you decide? No, I have to do this, and I have to do it now. Yeah, I think um, I've always been in the speaking writing space. I remember at seven years old, I saw a blank piece of paper and was so excited because I could fill it with words. Oh my gosh, and I love that. I, re- I, I believe that words matter and words outlive and outlast us. Think of the writings we're still reading and this person's been dead and gone for years and years. You know, my kids are enamored by C.S. Lewis, somebody that they'll never meet this side of heaven. I mean, it's just beautiful. So I think words have always been, um, always been my thing. And I have been able to wield them orally, but now to write them um, in such a manner that I believe that can bring cultural change means something. And so in my own experience, I found myself between a rock and a hard place, speaking truth to power and finding that I was disposable and the man who abused his power to one's expense was seen as indispensable. Mm -hmm. So I grappled with the societal, financial, professional, spiritual uh, reasons why we silence women and how so much of the systems we operate in are architected in such a way that subjugate silence and slander women. And if they ever try to push through that, um, they're put back in their place pretty quickly. And Mm -hmm. it's something that we all are in one way or another complicit in. And that's where my heart for pray tell was of like, nobody would admit they're like a monster or a pervert or that they uphold patriarchy, but there's these little things that we're all doing that contribute to these, to these broken systems. And I'm the hope is that we would all be able to shine the light on ourselves and realize how we're contributing and how we can change our ways. Yeah. I love that. And I really appreciate that lens that you're writing the book through that. It's not just the like, Oh, look at that horrible person who did this terrible right. abusive thing or right. oh, look at those complementarians yeah. and all of the like <laughs> ways that they oppress women. Like you're yeah. right through a lens of examining power dynamics. Yeah. And like you're just saying, we we all are upholding patriarchy in in little ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all participating in the, these these power dynamics in different ways. And so for listeners who maybe haven't read the book yet or who are like wait, you mean that I can't just be grouchy about the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood? <laughs> That's not enough. <laughs> like that doesn't, that doesn't smash the patriarchy. Uh, bring us so into that conversation yeah. a little bit about power dynamics as they relate to gender. Yeah. I think that something we often ignore are the power dynamics at play, whether we're ordering a coffee at a coffee shop or whether we're at church or whether we're in the workplace at the water cooler, there's power dynamics always. So that those might be genders we're talking about, mm-hmm. race, class, mm-hmm. physical size, reputation. There's so much platform. There's so much to take into account when you think about who has power and who doesn't, who benefits from power and who loses out when they don't have power. And so between men and women, you know, I, I examined the Greco-Roman influence of the early church in the first century and how the early church fathers kind of caught on to that belief that women were deformed men or the presence of evil or the devil's gateway, mm-hmm. <laughs> my personal favorite. Um, and, <laughs> There's uh, some gems in that in yeah, those old writings. There, there really <laughs> is. Um, and, and how that formed church culture, even though that was not the way the wisdom or the manners of Jesus, but we still hold that early church 
doctrine so tightly and it has affected the way we treat women throughout church history. But then you couple that with just patriarchal cultures and society, and it's kind of this double-edged sword of weaponizing scripture to silence and keep women a second and use that power over them. Um, thus saith the Lord, that those sort of power dynamics. But then you also just have culturally how we have treated women and we've limited their space to the home or child rearing, which if that's what a woman wants, I want those things. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, those aren't bad things, but when that's all that they're allowed to have in society, that's not human flourishing for all. Mm -hmm. And women are valuable contributors to human flourishing. And unless we treat them as such, unless we leverage and balance that power, we're not going to be able to see that reciprocity and mutuality that is required for human flourishing. Mm. And so when we think of women and how they have pushed for power, and just let's just take the last hundred years, you know, you look at the suffrage movement and it lacked an intersectionality when white women wouldn't let black women march with them for the right to vote. Yep. And they made them stay at the back of the line. And it was this idea that, you know, white women, the anthem was, we want what our brothers and our daddies have and our husbands. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd have to oppress a lot of people to get there and take advantage of a lot of people on the way. And where then you have this movement in the, during the second world war where women were called to work, not because they were wanted, but because they were needed yeah. because men were off to fight the war. And now there was all these roles and responsibilities left in agriculture and munitions and in the workplace and business government, mm -hmm. and they were required. So a, a whopping 6 million women of all ethnicities joined the workforce. But then when those men came home, they were no longer wanted and they were subject to poor working conditions. And they didn't have any basic working rights or were able to unionize and they suffered outrageous sexual harassment and uh, pay inequity. And so we continually see how they're made to be small and others, those in power, are allowed to shape the narrative, allowed to shape the conversation mm -hmm. to decide what they deserve. I mean, when we actually just sit with this, like, well, this is crazy talk. The powerful got to decide what the powerless deserved, even though these quote unquote powerless were the ones keeping the, the train on the tracks. Mm -hmm. And so we constantly allow dominant culture to determine the narrative of what a woman has done. If something's happened to her, she must have done something to deserve it. That victim blaming rape culture, purity culture mentality. And it really has just done such a great disservice because we would rather believe a woman's getting what's coming to her then believe that the system is broken because that requires internal investigation and examination. Yeah. And really it's an act of self-preservation to believe somebody exterior. I mean, forgive me, but this is what we see with in the Trump era is, oh, yeah. but these, these crazy conspiracies, it's all exterior. There's no, there's a, a lack of uh, willingness to do any interior reflection. And so you can see that same with how we treat women at large. And it, and it gets really tricky when women defend men who abuse their power. And yeah. they are pit against other women. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you, I mean, you bring that through in your book too, right? Of just saying like, who are the puppets? Who are the ones who are propping yeah. this up, right? And I think something that I've come back to over and over and over again through the Trump era, but then also, you know, as it's continued into our current administration, um, which I have critiques of as well. There are different ones, yes. but I have critiques totally of them as insane. well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have just been like circling around this idea over and over again that like statements are not formational. Like we live in a culture where we want to make statements denouncing things, you know, whether it's abuse um, or or some sort of exploitation of women, right? Where it's just like, mm -hmm. well, we're I'm not that kind of person, or or even I feel like even saying like listen to women has almost become a statement. 
um, that people can say, a, a declaration that people can say without doing any of the formational work around that Ugh, to like actually listen to women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't actually know the makeup of my audience. I think it's pretty split men and women. Um, but maybe what would you offer? And you, you go into this much more in the book, but what would you offer to people who are listening both who find themselves in that position of kind of propping up or defending um, if they are women defending men. Well, no, he's not yeah. really like that. You don't right. know him like in 10% impact. Yeah. Right. Um, but then also for, for men who really want to do that formational work, but maybe don't have the slightest idea where to start with that. Yeah. Um, who say like, well, no, I want, I want to believe women. I want to sit with that um, with that internal work, but where do I start? So that's, that's two very big questions. Yeah. Um, I first just want to say, thank you for your statement. Nobody said that yet to me, this idea of statements aren't formational. And I think that's something that I really, um, I've wrestled now that I've written this book and now that I know too much, <laughs> right. <laughs> I researched it for, you know, six months and then wrote about mm-hmm. it for another five. It's in me and I can't unknow what I know. And right. so I think even for me, like how can I continually, use my platform or my knowledge or my resources to ensure that every space I'm aware of and that I occupy and that I'm invited to is equitable and is equal and is dignified. Because as you said, it's just, especially in this like Twitter activism, Mm -hmm. social justice warrior only on the internet, I I would just love to see that same... that same enthusiasm, take it to the streets, you know, mm-hmm. enact real change where you're at. Mm-hmm. And that is, so just thank you for saying that because I think so many of us feel oddly productive Yeah, yeah when yeah. we are posting those statements and that we're being so loud. I, I recently read a report where it said the, the things we read and interact with on Twitter is 10% of somebody's actual lived experience in, in real life. Wow. What they're saying, what they're speaking about those things are very unlikely to be the bread and butter of your, of your 24, seven, three, six, five. So just that reminder that, well, what do we have in our corner? What, what is our law in life and how can we, um, and how can we ensure that it's safer and equitable? And so that leads me to my, um, to answer your question, which is, I think it starts with a lament and whether you're from a, a faith tradition or not, this idea to willingly grieve, on behalf of something that's happened to you or others. And what it does is it considers your proximity to power. And I think for women who defend men who perpetrate power, I think it allows us to reflect on, well, what am I gaining from this? Mm. You know, for many of us, we want to stay in the room and we are willing to bend to, and to, to take some sort of coarse joking or low grade sexism or misogyny, as long as we can stay in the room. But in reality, we are boiling the, the, you know, the water heats up and before you know it, we're boiling to death and we don't even realize. I know I'm guilty of this. I want to put myself out there, Megan. I am chief of sinners, right? Okay. Guilty, guilty, (laughs) guilty. And, and, but, but understanding how the excuses we make for others are, that's causing harm. Not, that's not, it's not just an exchange for us. It appears transactional, but in reality is transformational and it's usually for the worse. That's right. So understanding that it really does require some examination and a lament to grieve. And with that posture of humility, we have to be able to listen, listen to the, 
the power dynamics and where you work and worship, listen to people share, how, how does it feel to be you in this space? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this, and if you do have any semblance of power, encouraging anonymous reporting systems, I'm a big advocate for, I think of how I would have come, uh, come forward sooner if I wasn't fearing retribution against me, against my reputation, against my husband, against my mm-hmm. children, um, yeah. against my reputation, you know, th- those things. Even though I had a great track record, I still feared for those things, which is why women often stay silent is because they're unemployable, they're unbelievable, you know, in church settings and of course in work settings. And men are often forgiven so easily and are able to maintain the level of power that they've always had. Or if not, they'll go find it somewhere else. Yeah. So being willing to simply listen to how these things happen, whether somebody's come to you with information of the very worst kind, or if you're going on a fact-finding mission, being willing to listen and hear, because what we often do, Megan, is we project how we think we would have responded mm-hmm. and an imbalance of power in our right mind with how somebody actually responded and their family of origin and their practices and their formation yeah. and their trauma and their experiences and their education and their their understanding of patriarchy and the workplace and what's acceptable, all of those things, those come into play in somebody's reaction. And so we'd love to think we would just handle it so well. And again, that's an act of self-preservation. We're distancing ourselves from the issue. But if we can listen and consider our body language, consider our facial expressions and not be quick to judge because we so are, we want to make sense of other people's problems. We just want to be able to explain them away. And when we can't, they're the problem. Mm. So if we can simply sit again, whether you're, you're being your, this information is given to you and you didn't, weren't seeking it, which was my situation. Or if you're like, Hey, I want to make sure this is a safer place and I'm going to go be a good listener. And if you're men or women, just listening to how other people are experiencing the, the, the system that you are the same system you are. And then I think I forgive the alliteration here, but it keeps me on track. I think we need to learn how these things happen. I think there's far too little education yeah. And literacy on how power works, how we wield it, how we wield it against others, how we're willing to let things go in a, in exchange for power, how we're willing to subjugate others if we know that there's a clear path to victory for us, how we're willing to, um, honestly, we very many women lack vernacular to explain their experiences. Oh, yeah. you, know, you see late 60s, early 70s, we see common language, sexism and misogyny, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Those enter the mainstream common language that we all use. And then you see reporting just just skyrocket. And it's also during the the women's um, the women's movement, the second women's movement. And so that was um, there was a there was a great hit, you know, just tipping point there. Mm-hmm. But before that, you have all these women born in the 30s, 40s, and 50s who didn't have the vernacular. So the reporting in in work in the workplace was about 14%. And then it pops up to about 40% um, mm-hmm. during the seventies and eighties. And now it's, it's around like 60 to 90%, depending on mm-hmm. um, millennial Gen Z, because they have the vernacular. Yeah. They have the vernacular to describe their experiences. So the more we can educate on this and truly learn how these things happen, we're better off. I, I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day and she's a business owner and entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And she's like the amount of people I interview who said, the reason I left my last job was because wow. these men took advantage of their space and their platform and my reputation and my loyalty and my standing. And I, and I, I couldn't take it anymore. And she's a, a female founder. And so there's an alert to that. So it was just that room. She's like, if I had a nickel for every time, that was the reason they left their last job. Wow. And research shows that the not, not a woman's education class, um, you know, a lot in life is the determining factor for success. It's if a man 
will abuse his power at her expense. That mm. is the determining factor if she will be successful financially, relationally, professionally. So this is a clearly a, 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 a major macro issue that affects us all, half the population. <laughs> uh, after we listen and after we learn, obviously we've lamented, we then can pursue love and love not in like this lovey-dovey way, but truly compassionate action that requires justice. And I think especially depending on your faith tradition, perhaps justice and, and love have been divorced. Yeah, They have not been seen as, seen as the same side of the coin. And so truly to see those as action, love looks like calling the police. Mm-hmm. Love looks like going to the authorities. Love looks like going to HR. Love looks like bringing it up to the, to the pastor or the elders or whoever it may be. Love is not silence. You know, mm-hmm. vi- silence is violence. And so love is not silent. And I think the, the encouragement in many faith spaces to forgive without an act of repentance mm. is particularly damning and particularly harmful to so many women because they're supposed to just move on when there is this traumatic experience that has marred their life and marred their view of themselves, view of others, view of men, view of God. Yet we want to just, we want to minimize the issue because of course, again, it's easier to minimize a woman's experience than it is to address the broken system. Yeah. 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 Is it, uh, I think it's Dr. Cornell West, right? Those like yes. justice is lo- what love looks like in public, right? Public. That's, right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I love that. I think that's, that's so good. And, and it is so important that we, that we keep all of those L's that you uplifted in the, in that order, right. That we don't yeah. rush to this. Yeah. Like it's that's all going right. to be okay. We all love, we all love the Lord. We all, make, we all make we'll mistakes. Make mistakes. But for the grace of God, there go I, you know, that, that kind Don't of stuff. Lord's anointed. Yeah. Um, and you, and you talk in your book, you have a section where you deal with Matthew 18 a little bit, which is one of those mm-hmm. passages people love to point to and they love to go there and say like, well, no, if it's, if there's an issue with you and a brother, just go directly to them. And it's such a misused and twisted passage. I wrote a thesis on it in seminary. And so I was oh, really, really yes. glad so to you see you. Me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When when I was reading and I was like, oh, thank you for dealing with that passage because it's been so misused and so abused yeah. to do something that was never intended. No. Um, and don't you think it's interesting, Megan, and I'm sure uh, from your research, you'll, you've seen this, but the, the majority of women I've talked to who experience this, and in my own experience, my inability to handle it, quote unquote, Matthew 18 style was a bigger issue than the egregious accusations I brought to the table. Yes. Yep. And I, I walked away with shame heaped on my shoulders. This is my fault. What have I done? Mm-hmm. I am a traitor to the gospel. I am a betrayer of the brethren. I mean, all of these things that I let flow through my head. And then I was like, what the what? And it was honestly until I sat in a therapist's office yeah. and said, it is not your full-time job to protect someone else's sin nature. Yes. And you, you, they are counting on you feeling like the bad girl, mm-hmm. like the bad girl who tattletailed that, that, that people are banking on that. And I was just mind blown. Like, man, what an abuse of power, what the ultimate abuse of power to, to bring in, um, just the instruction of the, of the scriptures. It's, it's, yeah. it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that it's, it's just another way that we keep ourselves distant, right? Like you, like right. you're saying, we like to do whatever we can to keep ourselves absolved of any fault in that situation, that's right. whether that's, you know, we're trying to like say, well, this is how I would have handled that situation right. or, right. or even something like this where we're saying, well, you may have a valid complaint, but you didn't raise it the right way. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Can we get to what the issue at hand is? But I think that's such a well-worn neural pathway for so many people. Yes, I agree. Um, then it's like, we, let's not deal with the actual issue. It's that one, two hit of trauma. The first hit is the traumatic experience, that imbalance of power. And the second is the complicit enabled system who's upholding the perpetrator of power, yeah. who minimizes it when that person got brave enough to come seek help. So it's just this one, two, like, whoa, wait a second mm-hmm. here. This can't be happening. Yeah. 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 I want to uh, read. I marked a page because I really like this quote. So I'm going to read part of the book back to you and we can talk oh, about goodness. it. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> See if I can remember it. Wrote there you go. There you go. I think we're in chapter three. It's page 57. Oh, but, that's um, my, can I tell you, can I give you a little secret? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scenes for the podluck. That was the first chapter I wrote. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Aww. That's so fun. I, I love hearing things like that. It is chapter three. Um, I love hearing things like that when it's just like, cause you, if you're reading a book, you often think like, Oh, the author sat down and they started writing it page one. <laughs> and then they wrote to the, and that is not how people write books. <laughs> no. So from the very first chapter of pray tell ever written, um, you write as women are silenced, their story does not vanish into thin air. It simply goes underground. Every woman who has been silenced eventually comes to the realization that just because she doesn't talk about it doesn't mean she can go on as if it didn't happen. And then I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, If women are trained to be silent from their life experiences, their conditioned response is likely to affect their view of God, of others, and themselves. They subconsciously know their place in the world by the way that others treat them. So just, I mean, it, 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 it's right there. Like we're talking about the whole scope of, of lived experience, of reality, of perception of God, perception of self, perception of neighbor, an inability to fulfill the greatest c- commandment, to love yeah. God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Like right. it completely warps yeah. the ability to fulfill that um, if we just bury our stories yeah. and let them just go underground. Um, And I love that you say that they don't vanish into thin air, that they just go underground. Because I think that sometimes there's uh, a lie that we can tell ourselves and convince ourselves of pretty, pretty damn well sometimes. Mm -hmm. If I just don't talk about this, it'll just go away. That's right. I can I can positive think my way through it. I can, you know, work my way through it. I can get it, you know just go get a different job or whatever. Um, I can therapy my way through it, but if I'm not, but I'm not going to talk about this in therapy. I'll talk about this other thing in therapy, you know? Yeah. So for someone who may be listening and they have a story that they think they've been working really hard to vanish, (laughs) really trying really hard to like pump it full of helium and just have it float into the air. (laughs) And maybe they're listening and they are, realizing that that it's just deep in the ground yeah what is yeah what would you say what's the first thing lean in brother or sister listen and take it from a girl who legit almost booked a one-way ticket to dubai not to ever come back (laughs) and just let me tell you you go with you wherever you go Mm. we'd love to think a new space new people a new job a new church fill in the blank, will change everything. But those experiences are yours, whether you want them or not. 
So I pray that you would allow a refiner's fire to burn it down to solid gold, then allow it to fester and creep out into other areas of your life that it has no business infecting. Mm, That's good. That's good. I have been so uh, struck with, and we just, I just talked about this on a recent episode of the pod, like, but this idea of like refining fire or like so many times when fire is mentioned in scripture, it's not this like you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth and like scary fire. It's the fire that it's the fire that refines. It's the fire yeah. that burns away that that's not serving us. And that's not, um, that's not going to carry us through. Yeah. Um, and that's a gift. That kind of fire is a gift. Absolutely. And I think you'll be surprised. Like I, when I think of um, some of the women who walked through the situation I went through, we walked through it together. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of us walked through it months apart, years apart, decades apart, truly. Um, uh, I I just had this sense of, you know, we have been through fire, but we truly don't smell like smoke. Like this Mm is going to stink up the other areas of our life any longer. This doesn't get to have that kind of hold. Yeah. We're not the ones who stink. This person who abused his power is the one who stinks. This is not us. Yeah. We're going to come out here as solid gold. Mm, I love that. What is your hope for the future of the world with with regard to, to gender power dynamics? Um, yeah, I think uh, to be really frank, it's mm-hmm. discouraging that since 2017 and the height of the Me Too, Church Two, Time's Up movement, there is no legislation, bylaws, or policies yeah. up for vote to ensure equitable, protected, dignified spaces. So my hope is that as individuals and specifically as followers of Jesus, that we would be willing to lead the way to move the moral arc of the universe toward justice where it belongs, because that's his kingdom come, Mm -hmm. because we're not walking in the fullness of God unless we do. So what do I hope? I hope that our sons and our daughters and brothers and sisters and mommies and daddies and coworkers we can all see ourselves as part of the answer and not complicit in the problem. And knowing that that regard, (laughs) that might require laying down our power in order to advance a woman's place. I love that. That's good. And and I share your uh, tempered hope for the future. <laughs> it's like, really? This is where I, we're at still? I really? remember when I was editing toward the end of it, my editor was like, so is there any other hopeful like spin you want to put on this? I was like, this is all I can do. I'm so sorry. (laughs) They're like, okay, we'll work with this. Yep. 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 Like there's no other like, like infusion of excitement or passion. I'm like, I'm all out. I'm all fresh out. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like in order to get an infusion of hope, like, you know, if you're making tea or something, right, the water has to be hot before it can infuse. Come on, girl. Whoa. You just, the water's not hot yet. It's still on the stove. (laughs) How to preach. And thank you for coming to church, everyone. We, it is a pleasure. Megan really dropped that. Oh I my guess gosh, no. <laughs> I'm just really, really good at metaphors. I just think in pictures. That's all. Um, well, I will take I will take that that tempered hope. And I think that that's it's good for people who are followers of Jesus or or just it's just good for people. But I think particularly for followers of Jesus, where things have become uh really until the last four or five years have become so consolidated around a singular political party being like, this is the way that followers of Jesus enact like a good kingdom sort of political will Um, to think broadly and to think in terms of 
actual policy that could bring us closer to that ideal um, of saying like, okay, no, like what would it look like to move toward gender equity? What would policy on that look like? What would it look like if we like paid women the same amount as men? Um, You know, it was just equal payday for, I think it was equal payday for white women because there's different dates depending on you know, bringing back in the the piece about race, right? Like it's yeah. just like there's different dates. Uh, equal payday for Black women isn't until August. August. Um, and so you know, thinking about like what would it look like? Who's proposing legislation to close the gender pay gap? Who's proposing yeah. legislation to uh, provide paid maternity leave? Mm-hmm. Um, there is and a piece paternity leave and, and paternity leave. Yeah. Yes, both of and those. And that's the thing about gender equity, which sometimes I I use too much vernacular and language about women's empowerment, and I have to remember like. My passion is that all would ha- all of God's children yeah. would have these spaces where they feel like they can thrive. In fact, this just goes makes me think. I, I received um, <laughs> a private direct message from someone who figured out who I was talking about in the book, mm. and they had worked with that. I had never met this person, but they had worked with him about fifteen years before I had. Oh wow! And they said, "I, I just want to apologize because I saw every. I, I'm pretty sure I know who this is, mm. and." Um, I witnessed all these things and I stayed silent. I didn't wow. stand up for women. I I I was so focused on my achievement and and professional success that I was willing to sacrifice that so I could stay in the room. And I'm so sorry. Mm. And it was just that, and I it was just this reminder, like man, like the way we're training men to suffer under this too by other patriarchal men. Yeah, because if research shows this, and and I'm sure you read this in Pray Tell. Men who are egalitarian in the workplace, yep. they 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 want that gender equity are usually seen as weak by other men, but also other women. Yep. 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 So we have to, we have to not only pursue um, equity policies, but also just equity training. Mm-hmm. And that starts so young. So young. Oh my gosh. I heard an, there was an episode of, I think it was a liturgist podcast. Anyway, Hillary McBride, who endorsed your book, yeah, um, was talking everybody. in there um, about how, like the ages we learn to self silence as children. Mm. Um, and for girls, I forget what it is, but it was, it was really young. And I was like, hell yeah, we learned to be silent early on. You say it. And then yeah. for boys, it was five years old, which mm. was even younger. And I was like, oh no, like this, it hurts everyone. The patriarchy yes. hurts. Yes. Everyone. Nobody's winning. Nobody's winning here. Truly, not our little boys, not our little girls. Cer- certainly not in places we, you know, work or worship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't feel like we really need to tie it up. I don't want to like leave people with like a big happy tied up hopeful bow. I, I, I do. Think our, I think we were a delight. Thank you very much. Yeah, I hope yeah. they're feeling encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your water pot feels a little bit more boily. Yeah, so that we can infuse some justice in this. Come on now. Um, no, Maybe so little gray hibiscus. I don't there know. We go. That, I don't, you know, I, I, I only drink coffee. I don't know. I shouldn't have gone with the tea analogy. <laughs> I'm a hardcore tea drinker. So I, I, I hold this part down. I'll hold okay. this part down. You keep going. I will inject. Cool. As- you yeah. hold down the tea metaphor and I'll just <laughs> be over here like jittery and, and trying yeah. not to, <laughs> to vibrate off the screen from my coffee. Um, <laughs> Um, I will put the link to your book, to your website in the show notes. And then you podcast as well. Yes. Uh, yes. I have the Why the Podcast with co-host and fellow author Ashley Abercrombie. We answer the existential questions we all ask ourselves from, and we address systemic injustice to our 
favorite frozen pizzas, a little bit of everything. That's that is those are all the intersections that I want <laughs> to have addressed in my life because you know what justice work is exhausting and Truly. and I'm hungry by the end of the day and we're so hungry I, and and frozen pizza is so good um, I mean pizza is always good can we just oh have a moment gosh, for pizza so good well now I need to know like what's your pizza what is it tell me everything oh so if it's frozen pizza we have some know, really be, we have some really be. really good like local places in in Milwaukee that like local cheese factories who will also do frozen Ooh. pizzas that are then available in the grocery store. Okay. Okay. So there's some like really good like local ones. I think Palermo's may distribute some other places around the country, but they make a pretty good one. Um, but there's a, a a local brand called the Screamin' Sicilian and they make a very, very I know what you're talking about. Screamin' oh, Sicilian. It's kind of spendy. That's like seven ninety nine. It is, is a spendy pizza. one. I like bougie frozen pizza. I'm sorry. Bougie frozen. Like when I'm feeling myself, I'll grab that one. Now I'll walk out of there like Beyonce. Like it's I own. so good. It's, it's so good. good. Yeah. Mine is. Mine's a little on the cheaper side, but at Whole Foods, just the Whole Foods three sixty five brand. They have Those are a good. barbecue chicken pizza. They're four ninety nine. Megan, they have just honed that barbecue flavor. It is. To have a pizza, you're like, I would never guess this was previously frozen. It is mm-hmm. still, it packs the flavor and it packs the punch. And it is, it's my go-to if it's going to be a long weekend with my children. And I'm like, you know what? Friday before they come home, get a pizza. Yep. 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 And there've been so many long weekends. There's just, there's just been, it's just been a long year. So It's been a long weekend <laughs> of a year. It's been a long it's weekend okay. of a year. <laughs> Truly. So frozen pizzas for everyone. Amen. All right. Well, I hope that all of my listeners go and check out your your book, your website, your podcast, all of the above, um, and that they sit with how they're closer to these abuses of power, men upholding the patriarchy than maybe we would like to think that we are. I think it's important. Yeah. And they can read or listen to the first chapter at tiffanybloom.com. So if they just want to whet the appetite before they hit buy, there's that option as well. That's wonderful to know. So go try it before you buy it, but make sure you buy it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Um, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. Another huge thanks to Tiffany Bloom for talking with me about her book, Pray Tell. And like I said at the top of the show, all of the links to Tiffany's work, um, to her website where you can get the free first chapter of Pray Tell to listen to or to buy the book, all of that is going to be in the show notes. So make sure that you check out her work and pick up a copy of Pray Tell. Um, Truly is just a... a small and mighty book. Super grateful that it's out there in the world. So thank you again for tuning in on the podluck. We will be back in your ears on Wednesday of this week, walking through Matthew chapter four, uh, talking about the temptation of Jesus back on the road for our Matthew road trip. So make sure that if you have not yet done so that you hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on that Um, or any other episodes for that matter. Until then, I've been your host, Megan Westra. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Podlock. Bye.